Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We kind of feel like Moses did when he prayed that if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not moving. We can't go anywhere, do anything, and accomplish anything without the accompaniment of your presence. We can't open up the Bible and really see what it is you want us to see without your Holy Spirit and and your presence. So this morning we pray that we have spent time moving all of our distractions out of the way, all of our issues, all the things that concerned us when we walked in that door. And it may, it may even be concerning us when we leave, but for this, for this time we have declared it holy unto you so that we can pause our lives, look to you, hear your voice, and see what it is you want to show us. Lord God, as we open up the scripture today, I pray for an anointing on our eyes and our hearts. I pray for the anointing on your speaker that I would be able to say what you want me to say. And that as I often pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill my mouth with the word of God. Holy Spirit, that you would say more than I would say. We pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Well, we are probably, unless something happens that I'm not aware of, we're probably going to conclude our series on the Psalms today. Um, this thing says 59 minutes. You might want me to change that. Um, I mean, who, how, where do you want me to put it? Y'all tell me where you, where you want me to put the, the timer. <laughs> My wife said 10. No, she didn't. She didn't say anything. I actually uh, got posted on Facebook the title "Our God and Our Help, Our God and Our Deliverer," and that was I, I was tired when I did that. And actually, the title I'm giving this message today is "Our Help and Our Deliverer." Either one would be good. We're going to be studying Psalm 40, by the way. I probably didn't say that. Psalm 40. And at some point, uh, whether it be a few months or whether it be next summer, I don't know. I already know that the Lord would have me or will have me to reassume our study of Psalms at some point and go back through some more of them. But today, Psalm 40, our help and our deliverer. Now, we will see in this that the first part of this psalm, that David is focusing on his past times of need and when God faithfully helped him. He's focusing on what he, where God's already helped him and delivered him. And then he moves in the central part of this psalm. He moves to not keeping this good news to himself. One time I, pr- I played you a video of Penn Gillette of the Penn and Teller comedy team. Penn Gillette is an atheist. But he said in that video, if I believed there was a heaven and a hell and I believed that people who died without God would go to hell and people who died knowing God would go to heaven. How much do I have to hate somebody to not tell them about the good news? That was an atheist saying that. Now, he doesn't believe it. But he was saying, if I did believe in that, 
How much would I have to hate somebody to withhold from them the good news about heaven and hell in Jesus Christ? He's also going to help us have a perspective that moves us away and or keeps us uh, uh, away from uh, religious exercise and towards the will of God, away from rote activities, away from religious activities, just for the sake of religious activities, and toward the purity of God's will. And then towards the end of the psalm, he addresses his current predicament. We don't know exactly what that is. And his need for God to once again be his help. I want to encourage you today. Don't hesitate to call on God. I've heard people say, well, well, you know, he's bothered with me enough. Do you know what kind of God you serve? Or or I've heard people say, oh, oh God, uh, you know, so-and-so needs you more than I do. Like he's some puny God that can only help one person at a time. Don't hesitate to call on God. And when you call on God, if you're looking for an answer, uh, listen. Just listen. Lord, help me. Psalm 40. uh, um, We're going to start reading. I'm going to read the whole chapter, all 17 verses. If you can and you want to. If you would stand while we read these verses, and I will once again be reading from the English Standard Version. And it begins, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog or miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust In the Lord, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, but to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. We just sang that. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken. Everybody say spoken. Of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. 
May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. For As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. You can be seated. May God, by his Holy Spirit, add to the reading of his word so that we receive from him. He begins these words, I waited patiently. Now, I waited patiently indicates that whatever he's looking for does not happen instantly. We want, we want, how many of you remember Sanka coffee? White-haired people raising their hands. Instant coffee. It was a sponsor for the Andy Griffith show. That's the only thing, the reason I know. Anyway, I'm just kidding. It was a sponsor. Just put a couple of, her daddy loved instant coffee. He didn't want a pot of brewed coffee. He wanted Folger. What's, what's the other one? There was another one during Nescafe's one. There was several at the time. And he loved put that spoon, run some hot water in it and drink the coffee. Sometimes that's what we want God to be. And, and, and sometimes God will deliver you like that. But a lot of times God deliver you like And we're wondering. David said, I waited patiently because he knew it was not an instant cure. I want to remind us that reflecting helps us prepare for what's ahead. For you to be able to, to live through what's ahead, for you to be able to endure what you're in the midst of now, it's a requirement for you to reflect. You've heard me say we cannot live in the past. But we can certainly benefit from the past. And for you to reflect on that time you waited patiently and God delivered you. That time a hundred times. When you thought this was it. When you thought, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. When you thought that this is going to be the end of me, the demise of me. And when you look back in time, you see God's deliverance. That's what will get you through the future. He said, I waited patiently and expectantly. If you trust God, last week we talked about this too. Of course, it's the same author. When, if you trust God, your waiting is with expectation. If you don't expect, then you don't trust. We wait patiently on God by doing with fervor what we know to be the purpose of God. What we know to be the purpose of God. Our waiting, our patient waiting is motivated by hope and not resignation. Our waiting is not, well, I guess it's about as good as it's going to get, so I'll just sit around here and wait. No, it's motivated by our hope in God. And we, uh, I, I mean, I've, you've heard me say this, but I, I heard Derek Prince say many times, uh, do the last thing Jesus told you to do. He said the last thing Jesus told us to do, his church, while he was on the earth, with words coming out of his mouth, was go and make disciples. And until we get another order that supersedes that order, we keep doing that one. When you're waiting patiently, keep doing what it was God told you to do last. Because our waiting patiently is active, it's not passive. Waiting on God does not mean that we go over and lay down on the couch and say, wake me up when you're ready, God. 
As a matter of fact, the Young's literal translations, it's kind of an old translation, it says it this way, I have diligently expected Jehovah. I have diligently expected Jehovah. So I'm not just biding time, I'm expecting. Now I can't do anything about it, I can't change the circumstance. But I'm expecting God. He says, I waited patiently. I expected God. And he inclined himself to me. Do you understand what that means? Have you, have you ever been, had a conversation with someone? You're sitting in a chair or you're sitting across the table from them. And they lean over the table and they say something to you right in your eyes. You know they mean something. The, the, the body language says to you and to me, now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you and to lean into you. And this is what David is talking about. God inclined to me. I waited patiently. He inclined to me, but he didn't just incline. It says he heard my cry. He heard my plea. He heard. Remember God's inclination to you. And then it says he lifted me up. Some time ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, I did a whole series on being elevated into God's purpose. And God's basic design when he takes us is to lift us up and not to put us down. I can't go back and redo that. But he said he lifted me up out of the pit, out of the destruction, out of the tumult. He lifted me up out of whatever I was in. He lifted me up out of the miry bog or the miry clay. Sometimes he, as I said earlier, sometimes he lifts us up immediately out of the miry clay. And sometimes it's a gradual process. And it's God either way. A miry clay or a miry bog, it bogs us down while not fully stopping us. In 1973, before we were even married, I I moved to South Louisiana. She was already there. Uh, and I, I li- we lived there. For, anyway, that's a whole different story. But I got a job on a, at a construction crew as a as a carpenter, and uh, helping build some apartments. And the way the, the place was situated, they started the apartments on the very back of the property. And we had a road out front, but there was no road to the apartments, so we had to park way out on this road. And I don't know if you've ever been to South Louisiana. There, if there's one thing about South Louisiana, it, is that it rains. And then when it gets done raining, it rains some more. And the the dirt is what we call blackjack gumbo mud. It's just as black as ace of spades, and it's thick, and it's gummy. And so I would get out of my car, grab my tool belt, and I'd probably have to walk 50 yards, 75 yards to this building we were going to try to frame up. And by the time I got to that building, I had grown three or four inches. Not that I needed it, but I had, I had this much mud on the bottom of my shoes. And by the time I got to that building, I was pull, you know, pulling my shoes out of the mud. It was so gummy and sticky. I hated it. But what are you going to do? When you get to the job, you clean all the mud off, you go to work. So I understand. Can you believe the first lady's cold? Everybody look. Everybody watch. Some of you thinking, Jesus is about to come back. Right now. So I understand miry bog. 
It didn't stop me from getting to where I was going to do my work, but it sure slowed me down. And sometimes life slows us down. It doesn't stop us completely, but we're, we're pulling our feet out of the mud and we're trying to make it toward God, where God wants us. I'm not going to read the scripture, but Isaiah 40, you, you know, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall, whatever it is, and not faint. It's a Psalm 40, Isaiah 40, in case you want to put, take notes. It teaches us that waiting patiently means that you behave like you've already won the victory. I remember when Jeff Fisher was the coach of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, one of the players had scored a touchdown and, and, uh, he was, you know, dancing and jigging and jumping up and down and doing everything, drawing all kinds of attention to himself. And Jeff Fisher said to that player, Hey man, the next time you score a touchdown, why don't you act like you've been there before? I'd have said more than that to him if I'd been his coach. But anyway, we wait patiently because we've already won. It, it doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter. You've already won. In some ways, he's already answered. You just, you might not have heard it yet. And he might not have applied it to you yet. But waiting patiently means that you behave like you've won. And the result is strength to the weary and power to the weak. And the renewal of our strength as we're coming out of that miry clay. And it also teaches us that our surrounding circumstances will not fatigue or ground us. They may slow us down. And they may distract us for a minute and we, then we repent and we get back on track, but they're not going to, they're not going to fatigue us or ground us. Sin does that, by the way. And then he says, once he got me out of there, he put my feet on a rock. Somebody today said Jesus is the rock. Place, put me out of the miry bog, put my feet on a rock, and I'm, now I'm secure. And then what did he do? He said he put a new song in my mouth. I'm here to tell you today that some of you in this room and some of you listening to me at home, God wants to change your tune. They used to say to me, and I'd be doing things, and they say, you're going to change your tune one of these days. I did. Put a new song in my mouth. We sing a new song. About a new place and a new kingdom that's introduced by the king of kings. We sing a new song. Jesus sang a new song. He said, the kingdom of God is near. I'm here to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Job on one side of the coin said, my harp is tuned to mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Oh, I've got it up there. And my flute to the sound of wailing or weeping. What is, what are you playing on your instrument today? Is it mourning? Is it wailing? Is it weeping? Children of Israel were upset and it says by the rivers of Babylon, Psalm 137, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion and on the willows there we hung up our harps. They were downcast. Their captors in Babylon wanted them to play their music and sing their songs and they basically there was a mus- musician's union strike. 
They just, they were so downcast and depressed that they took their harps and hung them on, on a willow tree, which meant we're not playing them. Now, I, I've got an opinion about that, but I'm not going to offer it today. But we used to sing a song back in the 70s, and part of that song said, we've taken our harps down from the willow tree, and now we are singing. Some of you today need to take your harps down off the willow tree. Some of you need to take it down and start playing it again and singing. Now, some of you don't need to sing where some of the rest of us can hear you, but that's a whole different issue. A new song in our mouth causes us to take those harps down and begin to sing. There's an interesting thing in verse 3. Many, he says he'll put a new song in your mouth. Many will see. Now, how in the world does that work? He's going to put a new song and many will see. How are you going to see a song? I have no idea. But I can tell you this. Many will see and put their trust in the Lord. What are they going to see? They're going to see your behavior. See, the song David's talking about is not just musical notes. Not just you know music, but it's, like I said earlier, God's going to change your tune. And the new tune testifies of him. By the way, you don't have to live in the miry clay, see? Many will see. And then he deals with the blessing that comes from trusting. By the way, I'll spend less time with the other points than that first one, so don't get nervous. It says here we got 55 minutes left. <laughs> the blessing from trusting, verse 4 says, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then he says, in verse 5, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or the insolent. A better word there is really insolent. He does not turn. What does that mean? It means that he, he doesn't t- turn to the proud so as to depend upon them or to be like them. When we started studying Psalm, we, we started, because I'm OCD, we started with chapter 1 and verse 1. Which says in the, in the tree of life version, happy is the one who has not walked in the advice of the wicked, nor stood in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is that one who has not a- adopted the way of the world or the ways of the world. He said, that, blessed is he who trusts in God and does not turn to the proud. But he trusts God. And then he says, You have multiplied, O Lord, your wondrous deeds. He he begins to talk about proclaiming. Can I tell you that when God delivers us, that's his part. What's our part? Proclaim. You can't deliver yourself. We all try. You can't, you can't deliver yourself out of whatever it is you're in or have been in. But what you can do is proclaim Him. 
In the New Living, it says, O Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. Do you think that's a theme today? There is none beside you. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. That's our part. Proclaim. It says, it says that he is proclaiming his deeds, but I want to tell you that the way you proclaim his deeds is you're proclaiming him. As I said sometime recently, let's make sure we don't focus too much on what God does over who God is. It's good to testify of what he does and what he did in your life, but let's make sure that it's good, that all of that testimony brings people back to God. It's not what's in his hand that's that's important, but it's what's at his face. That's what's important. We, we Westerners, we're always looking in God's hand. What do you got for me? You got anything for me? Yeah, I got the glory of God. He says, I will proclaim and I will tell. Verse 9 says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. Amen. 2010, we went to our first Mayberry Days Festival. Yeah, we go to those things. This was the year that was the 50th anniversary of the airing of the Andy Griffith Show. By the way, this is the 60th anniversary this year. So there's there's a town of about 12,000 people. It might as well be Mayberry. It's Andy Griffith's hometown. And about 50,000 of us descend upon this city for this festival. Now think about this. We're talking about Mayberry people. We're talking about people who are nutty like me, and I drag my wife into this, that we watch an episode of the Andy Griffith Show every day. Every day. And 50,000 of us, the kind of people they can write you a check and you haven't got to worry about whether it's going to be good or not. That, you know, that kind of people. And there's this guy over here on a box on the street corner preaching and yelling at us and telling us all we're going to hell. I'm thinking, dude, have you paid any attention to who these people are? I mean, you know, this is not, well, I better not say that. Anyway, that's not what he's talking about here. He said, I've, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation to begin with among God's people. He said, I have not restrained my lips. What I'm talking about is, is looking somebody in the eye. So let me tell you what God's done. Let me tell you about God's deliverance. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Why in the world would we hide that? Why in the world would we hide God's faithfulness in our life. Why in the world would we keep, as as the atheist said, how much do we have to hate people to not tell them what God has done in our lives if we really believe? Sad we got to have an atheist tell us that. 
And then he, I, I call this section obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. He says, uh, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. You say, wait a minute. You're kind of confusing me here. Well, he, yeah, he, he said do these things. But his intention was not for people to become married to the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. The intention, as we learn in Galatians, was that that, that law, that exercise to bring us to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the law is our schoolmaster, it's our tutor. And the intention of the law is to bring us to Jesus. And so obedience is better than sacrifice. How many of you know people, a lot of people would rather make a sacrifice than be obedient? Samuel's looking for a king. God's saying, bring out Jesse's sons. And and so he anoints Saul before all that happened. He anoints Saul and and, uh, Saul has disobeyed God. He said, go in and take the animals. I'll I'll kill everybody. I know in our pacifist society we can't handle that. But God said to him, kill everybody. But he, but he didn't. He captured the king and some others. And so Samuel comes along and says, hey, what's this I hear? I hear some bleeding sheep. And Saul, the good leader that he was, said, oh, it was those other those folks over there. And so, those, so sorry people I got with me. They did it. That's the ones right over there. I hate that I'm about to use an Alabama football example. But a good leader is the guy named Bear Bryant who on the Saturdays when his team would lose, he would get on his TV show on Sunday and talk about what poor job he had done as a coach. And on the Saturdays when his teams would win, which was more often than lose, on Sunday afternoon he would talk about what a great job his players and his assistant coaches had done. That's a good leader. But Samuel replied, because he said, hey, we, we sacrificed them to God. We sacrificed those things to God. He's saying, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Let's say that together. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission, uh-oh, there's the S word, is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Woo. And stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So Saul was removed as king, or his kingdom was taken away from him. How in the world can stubbornness be as bad as worshiping idols? Well, because if you're stubborn, the idol is you. You become the idol. When we reject the word of the Lord... We are, we give ourselves to attempting self-justification through religious exercise. If you're not close to God, if you are just kind of making it through, you're trying to find something, some work, some religious exercise that you can do to try to satisfy God. God cannot be and will not be fooled. Samuel labeled this Rebellion and witchcraft and presumption, iniquity and idolatry. That, and that we, we try to placate God 
by doing some good things. <sighs> you know, you've, I've told you so many times, I don't know how often I meet somebody and they find out that I'm a pastor or they come here, they're a visitor. If you're a visitor today, I'm not talking about you. I'll talk about the ones that came before you. <laughs> and they'll say, oh, they get that religious, oh, when our church back home now, we, we feed the homeless. Our church back home, we, we go down and we, we take clothing to your children, that underprivileged children, and they go through this whole, whole long list of things. And if I'm feeling real bold, I'll just say to them, how often do you do that? And, of course, the obvious answer is, in most cases, never. They want to get credit for what their church does. I know I'm meddling. We were created for good works. This is true, Ephesians 2.10. But if you think your good works gets you into heaven, you're missing the boat. We don't do good works to get uh, to become Christians. We do good works because we're Christians. And then, just briefly, the writer of Hebrews takes this, these verses and applies them to Jesus. Uh, for those of you who have the notes in your you version notes, you you should have this uh, in your hand. But just, I'll just read it to you. So he basically quotes this. He says. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, by the way, another good leader, quality of leadership, but he was appointed by him, God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Wrong verse, people. It's supposed to be, I, I, see, it says up there, 10-5. I went to, to 5-10. I knew that didn't sound right. Consequently, when Christ came into the... Well, you probably, somebody probably need to hear that verse anyway, so there you go. <laughs> Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is an exact quote from what we just read, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Messianic application that Jesus declares when he comes that no longer are burnt offerings and sacrifice is even acceptable or useful because he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the permanent, eternal Passover lamb. Would any need to do it again? And then David moves into this place I call God the Vindicator. He says, there's some things going on, Lord. He says, evils have encompassed me beyond number. Then what, watch what he says next. My iniquities have overtaken me. My iniquities. So you'd, you'd think the first part of the verse is somebody's getting after him. But he says, my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. 
if your iniquities have overtaken you, you will not have the ability to see. I don't mean physical. I mean see what the Lord's. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. But then he gets into the vindication part. Now, for those who who are, are, are trying to snatch my life away, let them be put to shame and disappointed. Let those be turned back who are delighting in my heart. Let those be appalled who are going, aha, aha. Sometimes people look at you and they know you're a Christian and, and you do things, say things, and they go, aha. It's like the time that she was in a car accident. Our oldest son, her daddy, was six months old. I'm sorry. She was six months pregnant with her daddy. And lady ran stop sign. Oh, I'm talking about the first lady was pregnant, not Rainy Lynn. Let's make this clear. We are from the deep south, but that's not. Okay, let's make this clear. She was pregnant, six months pregnant with her daddy. Not one of those deals where the guy said, uh, let me introduce you to my wife and my sister. And it was one lady standing there. It was not. <laughs> I wait a minute. I'll wait a minute until I get you back. <laughs> so this lady runs a stop sign, hits the Volkswagen she's driving and uh, spins her around. And I, I'm driving up on a cable TV truck and I tell my buddy, Hey, there's a wreck up there. Let's slow down and see what's going on. And we rolled a little further and rolled a little further. I said, that's my Volkswagen. <laughs> so I jumped out. And by the way, let me back here just a little bit. I'm the children's church pastor, a Sunday school teacher, and I don't know what else I was, at the Baptist church down the street. Even though we were tongue talkers, they let us do stuff in the Baptist church. Uh, so, I mean, literally, this was on 11th Street, and the church was on 14th Street, so that close. So I run down, I jump out of the truck, run down the road to make sure she's okay. And when I realize she's okay, she got, that's another story, but she got mortar mix all over her. But then I, boy, I pitched a fit. You'd have been real proud of me. <laughs> Car was already totaled, so I hit the roof of it and dented it in worse. And I just showed my, yeah. My buddy who was with me said he was standing over in the crowd and Somebody said to him, isn't that the guy that's down here at this Baptist church? He's a children's church pastor. (laughs) Uh Aha. Which is another lesson. If you're going to get an aha, don't earn it. (laughs) He's saying, God, vindicate. You, You cannot, we cannot vindicate ourselves like God can. You cannot vindicate yourself like God will. You may pray to God, I need some vindication here, but you got to leave it alone. We always want to go get the vindication ourselves. But God says, if you'll leave it alone, I'll take care of it. And David said, I got some stuff going on. I got some stuff going on in my life, my own iniquities. I got some stuff going around me. But all these people are going, aha, aha, God vindicate me.
Hmm. And then he finishes up with what I call rejoice and be glad in him. Because he moves from verse 15, let those be appalled, to verse 16, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Can I say to you that we should notice that this is before, everybody say before. This is before the requested deliverance and vindication. This is before God showed up. This is before he's still waiting patiently. This is before God answers the prayer. He said, rejoice and be glad in him. Declare great is the Lord. Regardless of what you're facing, regardless of what you're dealing with, regardless of what your circumstances look like, you need and I need to declare in the midst of that, great is the Lord. Because it doesn't matter if you think your world is crumbling in or it doesn't matter if you're on the pinnacle of life. In either case, great is the Lord. God's greatness cannot depend on our circumstances because he is constant. And then the last verse, I'm giving it to you in the Granger translation. It says, I am depressed and have needs, but I know the Lord is thinking about me. He says, I'm poor and needy. I have, I am depressed and I have needs, but I know the Lord is thinking about me. Don't answer this question, but do you think that God is thinking about you. And again, somebody said, well, now he's got so many people to think about. Come on. Our God is a great God. And he can think about everybody at one time. That's the kind of God he is. God is thinking about you right now. You. Not the person next to you. You. He says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Now, aren't you glad? He said, do not delay. Because every one of us say that. Lord, this is what I need. Can you hurry up a little bit? I'm patting my foot. Can you, I, I, I need, I need you to do something. I need to, he said, do not delay. David helps us out there because we're humans. He's human. But Charles always says Peter gets us in. You look at the life of Peter and you think he gets it, he gets into heaven. The rest of us ought to have a pretty good chance. You know. He's slicing the guy's ear off because he missed. And after three and a half years with Jesus, he can still cuss like a sailor. And at the trial, I mean, you just go down the list. He gets us in. David helps us when he says, please do not delay. Let's take time to do a song, Don. Let's do O Come to the Altar again. Because you may be, you may be sitting here today thinking, man, I'm in some miry clay myself. Maybe you're on your way out of the miry clay, but you still got, you know, some, some of your, you still got some bog on the bottom of your shoes. You may be saying there's stuff going on in my life around me. A lot of it's my own fault. Do you understand God will bring you out of stuff that's due to your own stupidity? Now, he's going to teach you a lesson in the process. 
but he will you he will work with you and teach you so I, I don't know what kind of response you need today to this message uh, whether it be uh, getting out of the miry clay whether you've been you found yourself trying to satisfy God with religious activities and religious exercise the now, I haven't gone out in the parking lot and looked at your cars. <laughs> but the more bumper stickers I see on the back of them that say, Honk if I, if you love Jesus and things like that, the more bumper stickers there, there that I see, the more I think to myself, they're trying to hide something. They're trying to substitute. Something. Now, I was one of those. When I was a teenager, I had so many bumper stickers on the back of my car and my window, and I had a cross in the window. And it dawned on me one day, all that was just a smoke screen. Now, if you got bumper stickers on your car, A, don't get mad with me, and B, don't go out there and rip them off. It's not about bumper stickers. It's about our heart. It's about what's in our heart. Wherever you are in this psalm, Wherever God has spoken to you from this song, then I'm going to ask you as they do this song to respond accordingly. Now it's between you and God. Nobody in this room can do anything about what, what you're going through except God himself by the work of the Holy Spirit. Somebody can pray with you, but only God can do it. So as we usually say, if you want someone to pray with you, just come stand up here if you just want to come to the altar and, and uh, uh, accept a posture of humility before God, then do that. I think even part of the song says bow before him. Either way, let's stand and join with the worship team as we sing this song and respond accordingly. hurting and broken within overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling have you come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Today